Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey all you heroes, hawks, heralds, crows, pirates, and wardens. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we unpack, discuss, and galaxy brain about all the lore behind the Dragon Age series. We are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe. From character deep dives to exalted marches and elven gods, we will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hello and welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we talk about Dragon Age and its lore. I am one of your hosts, Austin, also known as Teacup. And I'm your other host, Shelby or Sheacup. And we are back with our Creatures series for our Season 6. And today we're going to talk about a mysterious creature, kind of on our theme, though, of last episode, which is... Uh, Creatures of the deep roads or creatures that live under the earth. Yeah, we are talking about titans today. Um, They do have some associations with the dwarves, obviously, but they also have some associations with another species of people in Thetis, which we'll get into after the mid-break. So what is a titan? Well, In short, they are mysterious, giant, and ancient creatures of some sort. We know that they live beneath, far beneath, the surface of the Earth, of Thetis. Um, And they live even deeper down than dwarves do. So that's about all we know right now. We'll obviously get into some of the more specifics, but that's the general gist of it all. There is a ton of very mysterious lore that is associated with the Titans, which again, we'll get into. Now, much of our information does come from Dragon Age Inquisition and specifically the Descent DLC. So if you're playing that right now and you're concerned about spoilers or whatever, 
um, turn this episode off because you will get spoiled for it and I don't want anyone to be mad. So just don't listen to this episode if you are concerned with spoilers for the Descent DLC. Yeah. And if you haven't played the Descent DLC, go and play it because it's worth it for the lore information. Yes, it's very lore heavy. So like you mentioned earlier, let's just jump right into some fun facts. And the biggest thing that I have that is just so interesting to me is that dwarf, not dwarves, is that titans are very often referred to as mountains themselves. Sometimes they're also referred to like as they have mountainous characteristics, but they do refer to them as mountains. So I have a couple examples. So first... Dagna says, I felt mountain tall, moving as if around all my people. So this is in reference to a Titan. I think it's in reference to some kind of shard she sees through. Um, And so she's saying she felt mountain tall, which we have connected to Titans. You can interpret this as not referring to Titans at all, um, but I think it does. And then Cole Mm -hmm. says this. Their ancient shapers were mountains drawn of all their wills, walking their memories into valleys of the world. Now, again, with coal, just anything can go any which direction, depending on your interpretation. So you can take that one again at face value or uh, you can write it off, whatever you want. But coal has a lot of very interesting little tidbits that he says um, that have much deeper lore implications that we've that we've seen. Mm-hmm. So another interesting thing about Titans is that, as far as we know currently, there are no mentions of Titans in the memories of Orzammar in the Shaperit. Hmm. And we know this obviously because Volta says as much um, that she says. The knowledge of of what you've seen in the Descent DLC, you know, would just basically like it would be devastating to the Shaper because they don't have anything about this. And she would know because she was a member of the Shaper She was a mm-hmm. Shaper. And then the last fun fact I have is that Kieran, old god soul, child of Morrigan, Kieran, he name drops Titans before they were even introduced in the lore by the DLC. So he name drops Titans before the DLC had even come out. Interesting. So tight. Well, the first time we get reference to Titans is in the this descent DLC. DLC? Yes. Hmm. As far as we know, they could always, you know, go back and add it in retroactively, but Yes. And I guess it's because in Origins, we only ever really interact with Orzammar. So it makes sense that there's no mention of Titans because our exposure would be through the Shaperit. Right. But it's just interesting to me. It is. It is very interesting. But let's get into where we do first see mention of them. Um, And so what we have in the lore comes from two Dwarven texts slash stories that describe the titans the origin of these two stories um the dating within the lore is prior to the first blight and this comes directly from volta and we get these two codex entries in the descent dlc so we can guess because of this information that the existence of titans was either never entered into 
or it was erased from the memories of the Shaperit because of the massive implications it would have on Dwarven culture, Dwarven, you know, religious ideologies, even just Dwarven society in general. So the last time that we know of in canon lore that another Titan awoke was in minus 1170 ancient, which is about two decades, 20 years after Taventer was founded. This means that the last time a Titan awoke was well before the fall of Arlathan and it was during the reign of Paragon and King Orsek Garal of the Dwarven Kingdom. So it's been a really, really long time. Almost 2,000 years. Over 2,000 years. So I guess the big question is, what is a Titan, right? And I think that the idea, understanding of what a Titan actually is, is naturally confusing because of their size and the lore that surrounds them and, of course, the gameplay that we see in The Descent. So technically, the entire cavern that you go through in The Descent DLC is the Titan. So that means all of the locations that you go to in the Bastion of the Pure and the Wellspring, all of those locations are the Titan. Like that's you're walking through its body. Interesting. Yeah. And so the area, when you go to it, it's basically like a verdant agricultural wonderland, especially when you compare it to the rest of the deep roads, there are plants, there's stalactites, bridges, all kinds of things in this area. And even the companions, they have comments like, how is this growing? Like, where is this light coming from? Like, we're so far down. How would the sun be coming into this area? Like, it makes no sense to them. Mm-hmm. And that's because they're inside the body of another living creature. I don't know if I like that. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. Um, I don't think I fully grasped all of that when I was when I play through when I've played through um, the Descent DLC to me it's it, it was always kind of confusing like well where's where is it you know so I think because of the gameplay it's a little bit confusing um, but I do have a quote from the Titans Codex entry which is actually this Codex entry is actually a quote from Volta's journal so she says this It's impossible to describe in words how truly vast a Titan is. The one I met is so large that you can only glimpse parts of it. I had wandered inside its body for who knows how long without even realizing it. I've heard tales of dragons and giants on the surface, but descriptions of their size do not compare to the Titans. It's really kind of hard to like grasp the concept here of like something this large and this immense and it very much reminds me of so in greek mythology the goddess the earth goddess gaia um or gia or however you want to say it she is like she is the earth she is both the goddess of the earth and is the earth which is 
kind of crazy to wrap your mind around, but like there, at least in the Percy Jackson series and other things, she's often described as like appearing in the dirt or appearing like a face or whatever, which is kind of really hard to grasp your mind around, especially in like, I'm going to go into a little off break. So like Greek mythology and like what you think of, of mythology of like these human looking gods, uh, the like fancy term is anthropomorphic, meaning that they appear like human in whatever. But like with the Titans, it's so foreign to us because they do not appear human. And Dragon Age kind of mixes this like our real world does. There are some religions with anthropomorphic gods and there are religions without anthropomorphic gods and so but it's interesting to me that dragon age kind of combines this because you know the titans are not anthropomorphic they do not look like humans but the evanuris at least in some depiction do look like the elves and i'm using human as like a descriptor for like humanoid races but you know and then the maker is kind of a both and situation here where I mean we don't depict the maker really but there sometimes there are anthropomorphic or like human characteristics assigned assigned to the maker like he pronouns other things like that but then like you don't depict him in a human body because he's not human and so it's interesting to me that the titans kind of fall in this and it makes it really hard to kind of grasp the concept because you know, you ask the question, like, where is the Titan? And the answer is yes. Mm. Yeah, I definitely think that your comparison to Gaia is a fitting one. And it is so hard to imagine because it's so different from much of anything, A, that we've ever seen in Dragon Age, and B, that most of us, at least you and I, are familiar with in any kind of mythology that we've seen before. So I think that's a really fair point. Um, But something I do appreciate about the Titan is that, you know, so often, at least in um, fables, myths, religions, whatever, in, in fictional worlds, they try to make it where, like you understand it where you can empathize with it as the reader. And I don't feel like that is at all the case here. It's, it's very much like this is different from anything human, dwarven, elven, Cunari related. And they're not trying to make it fit into any of those worldviews. So I do appreciate it for that reason. Right. I mean, I do too. Um, but let's move on a little bit and talk about the Titans body space, whatever we're going to call it. And also the Shabratal, which we have talked about the Shabratal before on the podcast way back. I think it was in our season two. Um, we had a Dwarven Factions episode. And so we did talk about them before. So we're not going to go super in depth into the Shabratal now, which is fine. Um, so if you want to know more about them, you're going to have to go back. But now let's talk about where the Shabratal live. And so they live in the space within the Titan. And so they basically live inside the Titan's body, which is how they get their nutrients and their nourishment. Um, whenever you first encounter them, everyone in your party is like, how do they live here? Like what? 
Um, so they do consider themselves to be the Titans guardians and they will attack you and they attack anyone who enters the Titan. They also get their nutrients, like I mentioned a minute ago, from the Titan. Specifically, they drink the blood of the Titans to live. So in a way, yes, the Shabratal are vampires. Yikes. Um, so that's just what they do. Um, but like I mentioned a minute ago, if you want to go listen to more about the Shabratal, you can in season two, episode 18. And we also talk about the Silent Sisters and the Legion of the Dead. So let's move on to the end of the DLC. So at the end of the DLC, there's a huge boss fight, right? And you're fighting a big creature. And for a while, I thought that that big creature was the Titan. That creature that you fight is not the Titan. It is a guardian of the Titan. So you can almost say it's like an avatar of the Titan even. But that is not the Titan itself. It's part of it for sure. But... It's not the whole thing. It's not the whole picture. And honestly, I thought that that was the Titan when I played um, until I really started doing this research. And then I was like, oh, this is a lot deeper than I thought it was. Right. It's interesting to me because I think Volta makes a comment when you get to that point. It's like, oh, we're at the Titan's heart. Like. There's something about like the lyrium crystal or whatever that that's at the Titan's heart which is really interesting to me and this guardian kind of way because so there are three kind of like go back to our Greek mythology myth. There are three kind of like gods that embody areas as opposed to like, you know, being anthropomorphized and overseeing an air, an area. But so we have Gaia who is the earth. We have Uranus who is the sky. And then we have Tartarus, which is like the deepest pit of hell um, in Greek mythology. It's where the birthplace of all uh, monsters come in. You look confused. Yeah. Well, what about Poseidon and Hades? They are anthropomorphic gods that oversee a region. The, The gods I'm talking about are gods that are the region as well. Okay, continue. Um, and so, so like, for example, like Ornos is cut up in things, but like he is the sky, whereas Zeus is like Lord of the sky. That's kind of the difference. And so it's interesting to me because like Tartarus, at least in some myths everywhere, can like personify as like an entity that can like talk and speak with people in that way which i think is really interesting because i kind of view the guardian as a similar thing like it's the will of the titan it acts on behalf of the titan but it's just a small encapsulation of what the titan is like kind of glimpsing a small glimpse of something we might be able to understand because we can't really grasp the vastness of the titan Yeah, I think that that's a big part of it. Like we as the players cannot grasp the magnitude of the Titan, but also 
the characters in game, they can't grasp it either. And we know that, which we'll get into this later, but we know that they can't grasp it because some of the actions that the Evanuris take that I don't think they would have done that if they had truly grasped how powerful and large the Titans are. Mm-hmm. Okay. But let's, let's get back into it for a little bit because I just have a little bit more before we go to the mid break. So there are a few other things about what and who the Titans are. So number one is that we know that their blood is lyrium, which means that the Shabratal, which drink their blood to survive, they're drinking lyrium. And that's how they've gotten their powers and this magical armor and all of that. And then right. we we also know that the Titans believe that the dwarves are their children. How that happens, we don't know. But we know that they believe that. We know that the Titans are said to have sculpted the world and that earthquakes are how they affect change in Thetis. We also know that their bodies put out a song of some kind. This song is supposedly different from the song of the old gods and the dark spawn. However, we don't know confirmed if the song that the Titans put out is the same as the song of the stone or not. Right. Um, and the song of the stone is the song. Is that the same as the song that Lyrium sings? Again, we do not know. Right. It's interesting to me. And I kind of want to, if, unless you have more to say about the Titans, I kind of want to like, tangent a little bit on this song metaphor yeah the only last thing i have to say is that the dark spawn avoid the areas in which a a titan dwells you know how they always like when they're teaching you about drugs they talk about meth labs and they're like even cockroaches won't go near a meth lab that's how i feel about that fact you are showing where you grew up but yes um but i do want to kind of tangent on this song ideology because we get this songs and poetry play important roles in like faith in Thetis in general you know we have the song that the old gods and the dark spawn here the calling we have the song that Lyrium sings to you we have now this song that the titans do and the song of the stone and it's interesting to me because like on the basis of all of these fantasy worlds is always inspiration from Tolkien. Like you just can't really get away from it because the work is so prolific and so foundational to fantasy as a genre that it's hard to get away from it. And Tolkien sets up his creation of his world with a song as well. And it's an interesting kind of thing because, you know, Eru, Iluvatar, he produces a song that spurs creation and the other gods um, basically just join in the song until Melkor, who would eventually become Morgoth, the master of Sauron, he creates a dissonant song. And there's this back and forth of Eru kind of taking that song in and then Melkor continues to be dissonant and all the stuff like this. And so it's interesting to me that 
this picture of Thetis that we get are all of these competing songs that are different. But are they really different? Like, is Bioware really trying to make a all of these gods existed and they had conflict with each other? Or are they trying to paint the picture of all of these gods are actually the same? I really think that's the big question um, of Dragon Age Dreadwolf. If if um, they even go into this, I feel like Dreadwolf may be a more contained game. We shall see. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't know the answer to that, and I don't think I don't think we have any of that information to even begin to answer that question. But I think it's a great question to ask. We just really don't know. There's so much we don't know about the Titan, which I think has led to so many theories about them to arise. And I mean, I am not one to go on and on and on about theories, but there are some really amazing YouTubers out there, especially Gil Durthalyn, Katie. She is amazing. She has so many interesting theory videos on Titans. So, you know, if you are not familiar with that, definitely go check her out on YouTube. Yeah. And like, that's not really, we'll talk about theories, but like, that's not the purpose of our podcast. Right. Like we want to tell you what's canon. We want to tell you what is fact. Um, And we will get into theories a little bit later. But before we do that, let's go to the mid break. All right. Sounds good. What makes your ram so special? Well, he's always brought the family luck and his advice helped us make our fortune. Your ram offered advice. How do you get your hair to do that, Dorian? With magic. With proper hygiene and grooming. Maybe all three of you should get acquainted. Kirkwall's not brown enough for me. But hey, no darkspawn. Ferelden wasn't that brown. The dirt and muck gave it character. So this is the middle of the show where we uh, take time to kind of do housekeeping and general things about the podcast, but not about the lore of Dragon Age. And so it's here where we thank our patrons. And so thank you to all of our patrons who support us. Also special thank you to our first patrons, Genesis and Lisa M. A special thank you to our Divine Tier patron, Kit. And a very, very special thank you to our Nug King patron, Lewis H. Uh, if you'd like to support us on Patreon and come on the show with us once a month, you can go over to patreon.com slash lorecast and sign up at our first Enchanter tier or higher. And you can come on the show once a month. Last week, we had our patron chat, uh, which we have a lot of fun talking about which romanceable NPC you bring home to meet the parents and there were some opinions so if you haven't listened to that episode yet definitely go back and give a listen and so if you can't support us on Patreon we totally get that another great way to support us is to leave us reviews and comments on Spotify along with five stars Uh, that really helps kind of show what kind of show we put out and if you think we put out a quality show giving us a review helps other listeners know that hey this is a quality show And so we do have a Spotify comment to read, because if you leave us five stars and some kind words or a kind comment on Spotify, we will read it out on a future episode of the show. So we have a Spotify comment to read. Uh, This comes on our last week's episode, the patron chat. And this is from Shim. And they say, I would totally bring Anders to meet my parents. Mom would love him. Dad might cause him to implode. And I think I think it's hilarious. I bet mom would get him a kitten because she's an old cat lady. That's a good comment. Go bringing Anders home. Uh, that is 
apparently a hot take. But yes, but thank you for our Spotify comment. Uh, We greatly appreciate that. Also, doing with another podcast that we're doing, you might have remembered a couple of months ago, we did our Dragon Age survey and we did our results of the survey. Well, we're launching a similar survey for an Assassin's Creed broadcast. So if you're an Assassin's Creed fan, you can go and check out that survey. It's in our Discord server. It's on the Assassin's Creed Twitter. It's... A lot of places. I'm sure a link will also be in this episode description. Um, you can go that and fill that out because we're kind of doing a little survey there. Um, yeah, and we might maybe one day have a part two to our Dragon Age survey, but you'll ha- you'll just have to keep listening to the podcast to see if that ever comes. And I think that's all I have for the middle of the show, so we can get back into the Titan lore. Let's do it. You're so mean. What? <laughs> Teasing them like that. It's called cultivating interest. It's a marketing tactic. Oh, okay. That's definitely what your career is in. (laughs) Not mine. Anyway. Have a care where your eyes linger, Alistair. Yes, well, don't worry. It's not what you think. I see. I was looking at your nose. And what is it about my nose that captivates you so? I was just thinking that it looks exactly like your mother's. I hate you so much. I was one of the crows you hired to kill the Grey Wardens. I thought you looked familiar. Well, I just wanted to report that I failed my mission, Loghain. You don't say. I'm terribly broken up over it. Hmm. Well, thank you kindly for informing me. You fear barbarians will swoop down upon you. Yes, swooping is bad. So let's get back into the lore and let's talk about the Titans and their connection to the elves. Because believe it or not, shockingly enough, this is where most of the theories come into play. Shocking, I know. Um, It turns out most things go back to the elves in Dragon Age. Um, Go ahead, Austin. So you're telling me that Dragon Age fans are obsessed with the elves? I mean, that no, that's not at all what I just said. Um, but yes, we are. We are. And, and for good reason. For good reason. They are connected to a lot of things. So let's get into it. Um, basically, Titans have a very interesting connection to the ancient elves, specifically the ancient elves, and especially the Evanuris. Most of this information comes from the... Veil fire runes in the Deep Roads Codex entry. So we have some quotes that allude to the Titans, but most importantly, if the Inquisitor has completed the Descent DLC, they have some added dialogue. So when you find this codex, you're basically like, your companions are like, oh, what does this say? I can't read it. And the Inquisitor basically will say, quote, the runes say that the Evanuris fought the Titans. They mined their bodies for lyrium and something else. It's not clear. So that's what the Inquisitor says. That is a direct quote straight from the game. But let's read some of the Codex entry, and then we can talk about whether we think that this is crap or this actually has something. 
So there is the implication that Mithal struck down and killed the Titans and that she gave some of their land to the ancient elves. The quote from the Codex that backs this up is, it says this, quote, Hail Mithal, adjudicator and savior. She has struck down the pillars of the earth and rendered their domain to the people. The Titans are often referred to as the pillars of the earth. Next, we have more from the Codex entry. It says this, quote, For a moment, the scent of blood fills the air. There is a vivid image of green vines growing and enveloping a sphere of fire. The vision grows dark, and Eon seems to pass. Then the runes crackle as if filled with an angry energy. A new vision appears, elves collapsing caverns, sealing the deep roads with stone and magic, terror heart pounding, ice cold as the last of the spells is cast. A voice whispers, what the Evanuris in their greed could unleash would end us all. Let this place be forgotten. Let no one wake its anger. The people must rise before their false gods destroy them all, end quote. So to me, the rest of this codex is basically depicting a battle of some sort between the ancient elves and the Titans. What do you think about this codex entry, Austin? Well, I think the interesting of voice uh, whispers, which is a... It's an interesting thing consider- considering like the lore behind the Evanuris and especially Fen Harrell, who whispers in the dreams of elves. Like that's his kind of thing that he's like sneaking in. So this idea that this might be Fen Harrell, the Dreadwolf, talking about what the Evanuris and their greed could unleash would end us all, which gives credence a little more to our theory that there is something deep that Solus is not telling us something that he is afraid of yeah absolutely and i mean i think that this gives more credence to Solus. it sounds like something Solus would say generally like what the avenirus in their greed could unleash would would end us all it very much fits in with his view of the avenirus right um i'm gonna go on to the inherited cycle um, but there's a funny exchange between Aragon and Arya, where Arya is talking about the elves, and Aragon basically says, "Like you speak as them as if you aren't one," and I think that sums up how Solus speaks about elves in general. He speaks of the Evanuris, he speaks of elves of the ancient elves, he speaks of all of them as if he wasn't one, but he is, right. Um, and it's interesting because Fen Harrell isn't an Evanuris, and he's also not a forgot. Uh, well, it's it, I know it's blurry. He is, and he isn't. Um, but yeah, but it's interesting to me these Titans and this war of gods has kind of been painted over and over again because we have the forces of the Maker and all of that against the old gods. We have the Evanuris versus the um, Forgotten Ones. We have, and now we have kind of the Evanuris versus the Titans. 
which is just another interesting thing. But, you know, like, how do you kill the earth? You know? You forget to cherish her. <laughs> True. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, this whole thing of, like, well, yes, we know how, like, we kill the earth in some of the ways that we fail to take care of creation and the environment and all of that. But, like, in this battle, is this, like, an event that happened or is this like a poetic thing to teach something you know what i mean and like it's Mm -hmm. it's role in the mythology in the religiosity of the elven faith like is this a story meant to be taken literally like yes long ago the avenurus fought these titans and struck them down or is it another kind of like myth or story that has truth in it but it's not meant to be taken as a literal truth. And another question is, you know, it says the earth, right? Do they mean Mm -hmm. literally the planet or do they mean the Titans? Because if it's literally a war with Titans and they're just calling it as big as the earth, because they're so much bigger than anything else you've ever seen. Well, that's one thing. That's just a war between creatures of this world. But if they're meaning, you know, the planet, like that's something completely different. And we don't really know. It's open to interpretation is probably how I would phrase it. And like if I was a if I was professor um, from Jaws of Hacken. Professor Kenrick? Yeah, if I was Professor Kenrick, I'd be like, okay, well, let's look at what the ancient elven language here says, because like. For example, in ancient biblical Hebrew, there are different words for ground and earth when you're referring to like earth as creation or the planet versus referring to earth as the ground, the physical ground. And they're different words, but they can both be translated as earth. And so I would want to know kind of the linguist in me wants to know like, okay, what's the elven language here say like is there yes it might be able to be translated as earth but it would be translated as something else um dragon age doesn't really deal a lot with languages other than little sprinkles of dwarvish or uh, the kunari language or the elven language auditory we don't really deal with a lot of the written languages mainly because who that's not fun for anyone so yes agreed but also, this is not the only connection we see of the uh, Codex entry. We also have two other Codex entries discussing and referencing this conflict. So the first one is Song to Elgernon, and it says, Elgernon, Wrath and Thunder, give us glory, give us victory over the earth, capital earth, that shakes our cities. I I think, you know, obviously you can read this as it's plain text reading and say, well, that's just referring to an earthquake. Yes, absolutely. It could be, but Titans strategically use earthquakes to change the outcome in the course of the world. Given that knowledge, it's never going to be just referring to an earthquake. Not when you're singing to Elgernon. Um, it's interesting to me, especially when we combined this with the fact that our last known 
at least, or theorized waking of a titan is two decades before the fall of Arlathon. Now, I know that the fall of Arlathon is put on Taventer. It's not two decades before the fall of Arlathon. It's two decades before the founding of Taventer. Oh, the the founding of Taventer. But Arlathon is in its golden age during this time. Right. And so... But going back to my point, thank you for the correction. But going back to my point, since the fall of Arlathon is going to happen in the near future with the waking of this Titan, and we know from Solus that Arlathon might not have been the paradise that some of the Dalish elves paint it to be, um, Maybe the Titans wake and start moving against Arlathon at the same time that Tevinter comes in on this. And it's less Tevinter still at fault for the fall of Arlathon, but having, you know, a literal primordial earth deity basically attacking your city isn't going to help you with the war against the oppressive mageocracy. Correct. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we don't really know much about this time period, but I think it's absolutely possible that not necessarily that Tevinter and the Titans teamed up, but they were working simultaneously for similar end goals. I absolutely think that's possible. But the last codex entry I wanted to mention is um, one called Old Elven Writing. And so, again, remember that I told you that Titans are often referred to as the pillars of the earth. This one, the quote says this. In this place, we prepare to hunt the pillars of the earth. Their workers scurry, witless, soulless. This death will be a mercy. We will make the earth blossom with their passing. Thoughts? So, Lyrium has always been a central resource of Thetis. And if these lyrium is connected both to the Fade and to the Titans, the Evanuris, you know how, like, when they're talking about the Mines of Moria and they're talking and, like, the dwarves dug it too deep and too greedily and they awoke Shadow and Flame, the Balrog? I feel like this is a similar situation. I think that the Evanuris discover there's some discovery of lyrium that happens and they realize, oh crap, you know, we're really powerful, but with this lyrium, like we can do things unimaginable. And so they start mining it greedily and this wakes the Titans up. And of course, I think their children uh, or their workers is what they refer. I think that's the Shabbatal probably is what they're referring to. And so it's interesting to me that it's like, you know, they're mining here and they awake these ancient creatures. And, you know, you're literally taking their blood for whatever you need. And here you are where they start fighting back. So let's get into a few fan theories. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but if you have other ones that you want to mention, we can discuss. So the first one is that Volta mentions that the shapers who created the wall, like the big wall with the dwarven runes, are very large. Um, that the, the runes and the wall itself is very large. I'm wondering if it could be that the very first shapers were titans themselves and they're the ones that kind of set up this model of dwarven society since they also believe that the dwarves are their children 
Interesting. Um, it definitely cre- gives credence, like an interesting theory to why dwarves can't use magic and they don't dream. Because if they're born from Titans, if their ancestry is from the Titans, then they don't have the same connection to the Fade that the Kunari elves and humans do. Right. Which would explain why there's a resistance to magic and a um, fact that they don't dream. Unless you are a dwarven gray warden and then you have dreams of the archdemon but that's like artificially created that's put in you that's not natural Mm -hmm. um so the next one is that dagna references many souls being within the titan i'm wondering could the titan house the souls of all the dwarves i don't know it's a definitely interesting theory um dragon age isn't really clear on what they actually believe a soul is yeah um, even Fair. within one religion even if within one religion like the chantry isn't even sure what they consider a soul mm-hmm. like Novara has a very different understanding of the soul than the rest of Thetis I really am laughing because there's that conversation in Lord of the Rings between Gimli and Eowyn where he's talking about dwarf women and he says that, and some people believe dwarves just spring up out of holes in the ground. Um, dwarves coming from Titans very much reads like that. Yes. Yeah, very much <laughs> so. All right. So those are all the theories I have. I know there's more out there, but do you have thoughts on other fan theories or or anything theorizing about the Titans? Um, There's a popular theory that perhaps the maker is a Titan. And we do talk about that in our episode on the Maker and the Chantry. But I I think it's an interesting theory, but I don't think it... I don't really think I go with it. Because I feel like if there was a Titan living under Denerim, and it awoke and spoke to Andraste, I feel like it would be a more recorded event. Mm-hmm. because by all other things when a titan wakes and we see this in the descent dlc like there are tons of earthquakes like it is a foundational thing and i don't know if i after this episode i don't know if i give a lot of credibility to that theory i agree with that because it doesn't make sense to me because andraste's whole thing is that nobody else saw it nobody else saw the lights in the forest except for her and her sister if it was a titan doing earthquakes every damn body is going to be feeling that and i know that there are more theories about the ancient elves but we're not going to get into that today we will do a mythal episode eventually and so i know there are some specific conversations about mythal and the titans we'll talk about that with her then but you know this could be a three-hour episode and we we just got to cut it off somewhere so with that being said Let's move into our side character for the day. So, um, as you may have guessed, our side character for the day is Volta, the one, the only. And she's a very important character, and she's really crucial to understanding the Titans. And so, um, before we get started, since she is a companion member for this DLC, we actually have a lot of information about her, and we probably could have even done a mini-character deep dive, but let's do some fun facts. So, Varric's nickname for her 
is Scribbles, which I love. I think that's a good one. Um, It's up there in like my top five Varric nicknames. I also feel like this would also be Varric's nickname for me. That's probably true because you because do take a lot of notes. I always have a notebook with me. So that is, um, you know, it's up there. But also more fun facts. So a dwarf inquisitor, you are part of the house Kadash. Um, you can ask for information from Volta about House Kadash's exile from Orzammar. And if you remember, which we'll talk about this very soon, there is another very important person in Dragon Age lore from this same house. Um, but the last thing I have to tell you about Volta and her fun facts is that she carries a bunch of tomes with her from the Shaperit. Now, remember, she works at the Shaperit. Um, so she's carrying these tomes with her. And she mentions that her boss, Zibor, C-Z-I-B-O-R, he will be really mad if she damages them. The fun fact is that you can actually meet her boss, Zibor, in the Shaperit in Origins, which I feel is a very fun callback to Dragon Age Origins. And we just don't have a ton of those in Inquisition. So I I very much appreciate this. So when we first meet Volta, she is a member of the Shaperit. She does still work there. However, she is disgraced. Um, and so she specializes as a researcher. And we'll get into what what she did to put her on the shit list, basically. So Volta comes from the Smith cast, and her family is very well respected in Orzmar society. She was born with a keen stone sense, as they say, which is what put her on the path to joining the Shaperit in the first place. But it really was her passion for dwarven history that kept her on that path. Now, as a kid, she would beg her father to take her over to the Shaperit just so she could look at all the books. And what her job was in the Shaperit was to record the memories of the Dwarven people in Lyrium. So three years before we meet her in Inquisition, she was tasked with removing an official record from the memories. She was assigned this job from her supervisors, from her bosses. Volta had ethical issues with this assignment. She did not feel that it was okay to remove something that really and truly happened from the memories because it would be lost to dwarven history. And so she refuses to remove the memory. Um, there are a few choices that you can make that impact that have impacts on this. If Balin was crowned king in Origins, the record in question tied his childhood friend to the Carta. And if Harrowmont was crowned instead, the record in question was of his cousin's Carta connections. So regardless of who's king, it's about a person close to the king having connections to the Carta. So Volta's refusal to remove the memory was very, very, very controversial, and it basically ruined her career. She didn't lose her job entirely, but she was, you know, she was high up. She had a very prestigious job, and she was demoted, 
and basically not trusted to do anything of importance. And so then they send her out into the deep roads to do field research, which is basically just grunt work that's dangerous and it sucks and you have to be away from home. And so this is where we come in. This is what she's been doing for the past three years with Lieutenant Wren as a bodyguard when we meet her during the Descent DLC. We kind of talked about, and we can go into this, but like this really brings into question like the Shaperit's credibility as historians for the Dwarven society. And that kind of like, and we'll talk about this because we have some conversation at the end, but that's why it's interesting to me that the information about Titans would be extremely dangerous to those in power in the Dwarven society. Yes. But let's get through the side character before we dive into that. Yeah. Um, so when, when Volta becomes a field researcher and was getting ready to leave Orzammar, her and her father separated on really bad terms and she hasn't been back to Orzammar since. So not only did she lose her job, she also lost her family um, for, for standing up for the right thing. But back to your previous statement, the interesting thing I think about Volta is that she's not bitter about the Shaperit itself. And she doesn't even see them as a corrupt institution. Instead, she sees it as a problem with the people in charge. They are corrupt individuals, not that this is a symptom of a broken and a corrupt system and and an unjust system, which is my take. My take is, okay, this system is messed up. This system gives a small group of people the ability to change Dwarven history and Dwarven future and Dwarven present with impunity, with no consequences whatsoever. And this small group of a very few privileged people, they get to make these decisions for Dwarven society with no repercussions. And no one, except for maybe the king, has any power to stand up to them. To me, that's a corrupt, broken, oppressive, messed up system. Volta does not see it that way. Volta sees it as, oh, well, the person who ordered this, the king and the person in charge of the Shaperit, they are just people with no character. And someone with character would never do this. And this is something I disagree with her on vehemently. Mm -hmm. I agree with that as well, because, and this is, it's not a symptom of like, how the shaper it is, is a cis symptom, kind of like you said, a symptom of the corruption and brokenness of Dwarven Orzammar society. Because there are very little checks placed on the people in power in Orzammar. And I want to say Orzammar because we don't know how, like, in Kalsharak or these other places where there are dwarves, how their systems work. But in Orzammar, like, those in power have almost zero checks on their power from other members of Dwarven society. Right. They basically have absolute free reign of Dwarven society. And I think that that's a reason why, not to mention just the way Dwarven society is set up to begin with. This is a reason why the Dwarves are in the situation that they're in. They have intense, intense breakdown of the class system and 
it's very, very, very difficult to cross those or, and, and you know, the people who do try to, to even help the poor, they potentially get shot and killed like brother Burkle, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's an interesting take, but I don't blame Volta because it's really hard to criticize your own people. It's really hard to see the faults with your own people when you haven't seen anything else. Um, so let's get into, how and what she does in the DLC. So the biggest thing to talk about with her is kind of the change that she goes through. So, you know, during the DLC, we're investigating the Titan, yada, yada, yada. But basically during the final battle with the Guardian, she gets hit with a blast of raw lyrium. And then she basically says something along the lines of the song got too loud and she's pleading with it to stop and she's very upset And she strikes the Inquisitor with some kind of magic and a bunch of stuff happens. And then she kind of disappears for a minute. Um, And so she recovers from, you know, going out of it and reassures the Inquisitor that, you know, she's okay. I'm okay. She's in control. The song she hears is no longer overwhelming or overpowering. And so afterwards, she's able to basically articulate a little bit more about what happened. And she tells the Inquisitor that the Titan recognized her as a child, connected with her, and, quote, made her pure, end quote. Volta insists on staying inside the wellspring, which Varric absolutely hates. He detests this and says, like, no, you should not stay here. But she insists, and so she does. Um, And then after you return and go back to Skyhold, you can find inexplicably, we don't know how these things get there. We don't know anything about how they made it there at all but you can find three pages from volta's journal in skyhold and we learn a lot they're all journal entries and so uh the first one she writes that upon being struck down she quote fell into a warm lights embrace as if returning to the stone now the blood of the titan flows through her and its song tells of the times before the titans fell and quote the dwarven race broke into two Um, We also learn in the second one that she does not sleep any longer. She has no need for it and that she feels um, empowered by the gift of shaping stone and notices that the Shah Bertal both love and fear her and that they are lost and misguided. And then we also learn lastly that they even, the Shabratal even attempted to make an offering of their armor to her, but she recalled Ren and what they did to him, killing him. And so she rejects any gifts from the Shabratal. So we learn all of that by some journal entries and pages that just appear in Skyhold from Volta. To me, this suggests that Volta has become a Titan. I think it also, you can make the argument that you know, she's become a mage basically. And because mages use lyrium, that's kind of why the Shabratal love and fear her. But I think it makes more sense for her to have become ascended to Titanhood. That would be very interesting because it would be interesting if one becomes something like a pillar of the earth. It would be very, very unique from like a religion, like ideological standpoint. Yes. 
So I just have one more thing to talk about with Volta. And this is that we also learn through war table operations that they heard a weird sound, not quite human, animal, or darkspawn sound coming from the deep roads in this area. And so you can actually send a team to investigate the cry and look for Volta via war table operations. So during this, you find also Ren's body has gone missing. Volta is nowhere to be found. And the entrance to the wellspring has mysteriously been concealed and you can no longer get to it. Any attempts to dig through the rock that is now blocking that entrance to the wellspring result only in broken tools and injuries. You cannot get through it. And so that's kind of the last thing we learn about from the Descent DLC. I feel like it kind of ends on a cliffhanger a little bit. um, And I hope it's something that they follow up with in the next game. It's interesting to me because like the end of this basically puts the idea that like the Titans are retreating to the earth. Like they don't want to be found, which implies that the last time they were found did not go well for them. It's just really interesting to me because I'm now really focused on the Dwarven race broken to and what that means. Like, does that mean like between the Shabritol and the rest of the dwarfs? Does it mean between the dwarfs of Kalsharak and something else? Like, and there's this, we haven't even talked about this weird connection of the dark spawn that like, you know, the Titan is the only place in the deep roads that has no dark spawn. It's a lot to unpack. I don't even know where to start. There's just so much information. Yeah, exactly. There's so much and there's not enough all at the same time. They could they could retcon all of this in the next game very easily. Um, there's an interesting line from Solus. He says the empire of Tevinter was built on the bones of my people. What if Tevinter is literally built on the bones of the Evaners, and the Evaners were actually equal in size as the Titans, and that's where it's kind of going toe-to-toe, where then it's more of, like, the Earth and the world is at war with itself than rather than these kind of humanoid gods are at war with these giant entities. I think that's also a fair question. I think Tevinter is built on the bones of something. I don't know what, but it has too much messed up stuff for there not to be some kind of curse from digging up somebody's grave. That's for damn sure. Right. But if that's all you have, we can wrap it up. Yeah. um, Like we said, we could probably go on for several hours on this episode Um, You can always pop over to our discords if you have your own theory that you want to talk about with us or with other people. You can pop over to our discord and hang out with us and tell us there. But other than that, that's all we have time for in this episode. We'll revisit some of these theories as we go out. You know, like we said, we have a Mythal episode coming up and we'll talk about that with her and It'll be a great time, but that's all we have. And so before we leave, I do have a special thank you to our Nug King patron, Lewis H., who gets thanked at the end of every show. Uh, Special thank you to all of you. Thank you for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast, and we will see you next time.
Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at DA Lorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, join our Cups Podcasting and More Discord server. It's easily the best place on the internet. You can also support us financially through our Patreon. You can find us there on patreon.com slash dragonagelorecast. The Dragon Age Lorecast is part of the Robots Radio Network. For more information about the Robots Radio Network, join the Discord server via the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We'll see you next time. Ever wanted to be a content creator but had no clue where to begin? Come join me as I sit down with content creators that have already faced the challenges you're up against as they discuss the tips and tricks that help them be successful. Here on The Content Creator's Guide, available wherever podcasts can be found.